0: Today's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 23. From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and be raised again on the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned to... But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. I like stories about underdogs. A movie, a book, whatever. A story about an underdog. Maybe, you know, kind of your David and Goliath type of story. Maybe it's a sports setting or whatever it is, but I like to root for the underdog. I always have. and um, Especially in, in movies like where you have the one individual going up against a big corporation. Somebody who has very humble means going up against a group of people who have nearly unlimited resources and money. A man of integrity who's been wronged. And it's like against all odds that he could possibly prevail in the situation and yet he's willing to stand his ground and do his best. That's the kind of story I came across in a movie a while back about Robert Kearns, the name of the movie is "Flash of Genius." Robert Kearns, you may have never heard of him, but he was an engineer and an inventor, and his most famous invention is that of the intermittent windshield wiper. Uh, he was driving home from church uh, with his wife and six kids, and there was just this light drizzle going on. And he turned his wipers on. It was, you know, and you know how it is. It's Squeak, squeak squeak as there's not enough water going on, and he'd turn it off, and then he couldn't see out the window and He was saying, you know if if windshield wipers were just kind of like your like your eye, you know you're Your eyelid blinks when it needs to blink. It just doesn't blink, blink, blink. It blinks when it's necessary. And that's the the best way to see. And he thought, if only we could do that with windshield wipers. So he went home, and being a little bit of an engineer and inventor, he started working on this. And he said, I've had a shop down in his basement, and his boys were helping him uh, try to build this thing. For two to three years, he's working on this down in his basement, and finally, he has success. He invents it. And so he has a friend that's in the auto industry. He takes the invention to him. This guy sets up an appointment with Ford Motor Company. He meets with Ford Motor Company. They like the invention. They enter into an initial agreement, and he wants to stay the manufacturer. He wants to to build them. So he gets all the money that he's got, and he puts it into buying and getting a, a shop and a factory ready to make these motors when Ford Motor Company backs out. And because of losing that work, he loses everything. He loses all of his money. And it's, it's like the end for him financially. What makes it even worse is that within about a year when the new model cars come out, the Ford Mustang is introduced at the car show as one of the first vehicles made with intermittent windshield wipers. And that's when he really kind of loses it and, 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 and fig, it's just like something has to happen here well he ends up having a nervous breakdown Robert Kearns is institutionalized for several months over the disappointment and the loss of this and the ruin that it had brought to him financially and after he is released from that he decides that he's going to take on Ford Motor Company and so he does and he gets an attorney and when they first go up to Ford Ford says look we'll give you $250,000 just drop this He said, well, you admit that I'm the inventor. And he said, they said, no, we'll give you $250,000, but we're not going to admit that we, you know, basically stole your patent. So, no, but we'll give you $250,000. He said, forget it. His attorney quit thinking, I'm not going up against Ford Motor Company. And Robert Kearns decided that he would do that. And he started working on it on himself and preparing for years. He brought suit against Ford Motor Company in 1978 for patent infringement and the thing lasted for 12 years 12 years of his life is eaten up with this part way along the process Ford offers him 30 million dollars to settle that was 30 million dollars he said will you admit that I am the inventor of the intermittent windshield wiper and they said no we will have no admission He said, then, there's no deal. After 12 years, a jury found in his favor and awarded Robert Kearns $10.1 million. Simultaneously, he's in 10 years of litigation with Chrysler and receives a little under $30 million from their admissions. Now, you would think at this point, I would be up on my feet cheering for this guy. You did it. You stuck. You didn't just settle for the money. You wanted your name cleared. And that's what it was for him. He's like, I'm an inventor. They haven't just stolen money from me. They've stolen my identity. This is who I am. And they're saying, no, you're not. And he was feeling like he needed to stand up for himself. And I, I would have been up on my feet cheering for him. But there's part of the story that I haven't mentioned. And that's that Robert's wife, Phyllis, during this entire time period, while he is so single-mindedly obsessed, and obsessed is the right word, obsessed with this getting this justice and getting his name where it needs to be, his wife was doing everything she could to hold the family together. She was working. She was caring for six children. She was trying to support him in getting his case ready. It got to the point where she was under such stress and anxiety that she became ill, physically ill because of this, and finally one day, totally exhausted, at the end of her rope, she went to her husband and she said, "We've just got to stop this. You've got to stop this. We're about to lose everything." And she didn't just mean financially. She said, "We're losing us." We're losing our marriage. The children don't even know you anymore. We, we, we need this to stop. It, it's okay. We, it's, our family is too important for this. And Robert Kearns made the decision to continue the case. At the cost of his marriage and alienation and estrangement of his six children. So when the big verdict came in and all the money was awarded, I just didn't feel all that great about it personally. Because all I could think of was what the man had given up for his money. Or for what he'd given up for his family. If you were to Google Robert Kearns, K-E-A-R-N-S, this is what will pop up, and it will say, inventor of the intermittent windshield wiper. There it is. He got it. At what cost? At what cost? He lost, in my estimation, the most important things in his life to get that in Wikipedia and by the way he's been dead since 2005 so when I saw this movie I just thought it was going to be one of those really great feel good movies because the underdog's going to win and it just hit me like a it just hit me so hard and it became to me somewhat of a spiritual parable You know, Jesus told parables for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons that Jesus would tell parables is because in a parable, sometimes you get caught up, don't you? You get caught by it because there's something about your life that you would never see ever. You would never notice it about yourself, but you find it in the story and you identify it as something and then all of a sudden it surprises you and you realize that you're making a judgment on yourself. And that's what this movie kind of became to me, kind of a spiritual parable of sorts, because it pointed me to the words of Jesus. It pointed me to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 16, verse 26, when he says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Jesus spoke those words in the context of an individual making the most critical decision that we will ever make in our life. He had just been confessed as the Christ, the Son of the Living God, by the Apostle Peter. And then begins to explain to his apostles what that's going to mean for him, because it's and, and that, of course, comes as quite as a shock. Because he says, now the Son of Man must suffer. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be suffered. I'm, I'm going to be turned over. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be crucified. But on the third day, I will rise from the dead. And it's in that context that Jesus then says, and if you want to be a part of that, if you truly believe this about me, then you've got to be willing to do what I'm doing. Jesus is obviously about to deny Himself and literally take up a cross and die in order as to fulfill the plan of God that He has come to fulfill as the Son of God. And Jesus then calls upon His apostles to do the very same thing. As we read in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus told His disciples, If anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross Nothing is more important to us than our soul. We're created in the image of God. We bear His image. We're created for eternity. That's our very essence. It's who we are. It's the being that we are that relates to God and is meant to relate to God for all of eternity. If we could gain the whole world, first of all, we couldn't, but if we could gain the whole world, if somehow we could become masters of all the possessions on the face of the earth and have all power over everything on this earth, if we could gain the whole world literally, but in the process lose our soul, what an unspeakable tragedy that would be. What a terrible loss that would be. Can you imagine? I'm as I hear this passage, and I and I tie it in with the story of this man who essentially lost so much, lost everything of importance in his life, I think, what would it be like to come to the end of the road? What would it be like for me to come to the end of my life or to come to the end when Jesus returns and in that moment realize I have lost my soul? I've lost my soul for eternity. It is... It's the greatest horror. It's just, it's the most tragic kind of thing to contemplate. There's nothing more important than that. And the security of our souls is found in our trust in Jesus and in His sacrifice for us and in Him denying Himself and taking up the cross and dying for us and being raised on the third day and in our willingness to follow in those same footsteps to give our lives over to Him to give our lives over to the will of God just as certainly as He did. Jesus reminds us in this passage, He's coming back. He will return. And how vital and important it is for us when He does, that we are faithful to God and serving the purposes of God. But I don't know, I think sometimes we may be a little bit like the guy in the movie. It's amazing in life how things can get in the way of God. Uh, and things that are even good. When I look at the story of Robert Kearns, let me just say, there's absolutely nothing wrong with a man standing up for himself and saying, you've stolen from me, and you need to do right by me, and you're, you're stealing money from me, and you're, you're, you're stealing my reputation, and to take whatever legal recourse he has. There's nothing wrong with that. Obviously, he has every right to do that. But when taking that action undermines the most important relationships in his life, his wife, his children, and essentially in his life, his God, then you can see how foolhardy such action is. And so it is in our life. There are a lot of things in our life that are very, very good. In fact, we would say they're gifts from God. The people in our life, the families that we have, the jobs that we have, the, the things that we enjoy in life that are truly blessings from God that God wants for us to enjoy. But at times, those are the very things that creep in, into our lives and begin to displace God. And oftentimes, God is the one who gets pushed to the side. It's amazing how often when, when we as human beings have to choose between this and God or that and God, it's amazing how often God is the one who gets pushed to the side. God is the one who takes second place rather than whatever it is that we have in, in mind that we need to be doing. There's nothing wrong, obviously, with having a job. It's a blessing from God and a family and all the, the things that we enjoy in life. But when they displace God in our life, it's spiritually disastrous. God has got to be first. The kingdom of God has got to be first. Jesus says, you've got to lose your life in me. You've got to allow my will to totally encompass your will so that now your will is is swallowed up in mine, that you've completely relinquished all of that to me that you accept my lordship, that your life is caught up in kingdom pursuits just as our lord's was caught up in, in the reign of God. And, and and he calls us into that same kind of lifestyle. And we have got to make all of life's decisions from this vantage point, from this system of priorities, and lose our lives. And The, what, the strangest things happen when you do this. When we get this right, when the kingdom is first, when When we, to the very best of our maturity and spiritual growth, deny self and lose our life in Christ, the strangest thing happens, and that is that all of these other things that are in our lives all of a sudden fit into place, and we see them for what they really are and the value that they have and the proper place. That they have in our lives. It's one of those things that when we're out of balance and, and we're trying to find our life in these things, we get, we're just so upside down. But when, when God comes back to the center and when our devotion to Christ and our following Jesus is at the heart of our life, then all of these other things that are, that, that are just a natural part of our life, we begin to understand how to enjoy them. The devil is saying, "Hey, find your life. Find your life by going out there and getting what you want and set your goals high and go for it." And yeah, you can you can believe in God and God can have a role in your life, but you need to you need to find your life and get get your get what you're going after. And Jesus says, "No, that's not that's not the way it is. It's impossible for that to bring you what you're looking for. In fact, you've got to lose your life." You've got to lose your life in me if you want to find it. You've got to just completely relinquish the control, your decision making, your life, your lifestyle, your behavior to me, and judge everything from that perspective and point of view. And of course, when we do, everything else in life we get right. For example, our families what place does our family have in the life of a disciple a family however you may be from there may be folks here who are single there may be people here with 10 kids or whatever we we have family life in a variety of ways but family life in the kingdom is about knowing God and loving God and if you're blessed with children, to raise up your children, to know the Lord, to trust Him, to train them, to love God, to serve God, to show them and model to them how to be devoted to the Lord, to give your life over completely to God and, and to, to call your children to follow you as you follow Christ. It's to, it's to put God first in your family and at the center of your family and sometimes in family life, God will get pushed over to the periphery. He won't be the most important thing and that brings about disaster in the life of a family I'm so thankful for the parents here who involve their kids in the life of the church who have them here for Bible school who are here right now who and it's hard sometimes All of us who've raised kids, we know how how difficult it can be to get everything together, to get everybody ready, to get 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 somewhere on time, and then, you know, little juniors going to cry or whatever's going to happen, and whatever we all—I mean, so many of us—we get that, and I—it warms my heart to see young men and women, moms and dads who are here with their children who will be in small group tonight. I'm grateful for the young people or junior high and high school in our small group that are there that participate as part of our family life and study of the Scripture. I see them here this morning. It's important that we all know one another and relate to one another. I know there's a small group that has uh, quite a few little ones in it. That's got to be an interesting challenge to pull off, but I'm sure they're doing just fine. And, and, And those of you who have involved your children in ministry whether it's with us as a church or other things that you're doing in your life where you get your your children serving, that's so vital and important that God be the center of your family life because so often today in family life, God gets pushed over to the side and almost anything and everything could get in the way of assembly and Christian fellowship and serving and ministering. Parents, What will it profit your child to gain the world and lose their soul? What would you give in exchange for the soul of your child? I am so grateful to my parents. And you know, you, as you grow up, you figure out your parents aren't perfect. My parents weren't perfect. But I never once, and I do mean never once, doubted where God was in their life. And by extension, where God was in the life of our family. Until I grew up, until, that own, until I owned that commitment myself, until I matured and grew to where it was now my commitment and not my parents' commitment. But there was never a doubt, there was never a question. And I can just say God was never kicked to the curb, God was always at the heart and the center of our family life. And I grew up in a church family. I grew up with aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandpas in the faith that have been dear to me all of my life at every stage of my life. And now I've become grandpa. So, you know, here we are at the other end of the spectrum. And I love that too. I mean, I really do. It's just, it's wonderful. But that can't happen without all of us being devoted to the Lord and seeing ourselves as family and joined in the body of Christ and understanding the power that we have as as a community of faith and in sharing all of those values together. Uh, the jobs that we have. Thank God for the jobs we have. Whatever job you have, it's a way of supporting yourself, m- way of meeting your needs. Praise God for your job. Do we all do our jobs to the best of our abilities, but our jobs aren't the things where we're going to make our mark in the world, and we're going to rise up, and we're going to. That we, now that may happen. God may bless you in your job. God may bless you in your work, and you may do very, very well. Recognize it as a blessing of God and honor God with whatever He gives you in that work. The jobs are the places that we go and we work and we find support, and we're there to be. Light in the world among the people that we see to show them the faith in flesh and blood to live out the life of Christ before them to show them who we are to be, to be ready and able and eager to minister to anyone that we work with or are associated with in our work who may need the Lord and to be ready to talk to them and to witness them about the work of God in our own lives that's where, that, that, that's where the kingdom and the work... It's not, our, our life in the world is not that secular life that we have that's separate from our life of faith. Our workplace is a place of ministry and service. It's where the kingdom comes first, even there. And so it is with all of the things that we do in life, all of the, all of the things we just enjoy doing some people here love to hike some people mountain bike some people like to read some people like and there's so so many different interests and God gives us interest I think at times and, and ways to relax and enjoy ourselves but those things aren't ends in themselves but rather all of that is to be seen as how it relates to our life in the kingdom and how Sometimes through those very, those very things that we enjoy doing, we make friends and we have people that we can talk to and we can share the gospel with. But the, the point is that it's all from this vantage point of having lost our life in Christ so that He encompasses all that we are and we begin to look at our life and our situation very differently than we did before. Think about the call to discipleship. I just like everybody here right now to absolutely and fully and completely deny yourself. Let's just work right now on the complete death of our egos. You talk about a countercultural idea. That's what Jesus calls every generation and every culture to. Because he models it in his own life and ministry. And the amazing thing about it is is when we truly get that and when we go all in to, to the degree that we can we have blessings that the world cannot offer that we can never gain in the world. What Jesus is saying is so true. If you spend your life trying to find it, trying to get it, trying to go for it, you're going to come up empty. You're going to lose. But if you lose yourself in me, that redefines your life in its entirety and you are going to be gaining things that you never even would have known that God would be blessing you with. It's such a blessed life in Christ. And it doesn't mean that the problems are are gone away, but it does mean that all of life is lived under the rule of God. And we see things differently. And it gives us meaning. It gives us purpose in all that we do. To lose our life. And then to find them. And I I know we all, we've come to our faith in different ways and at different times in our life. I happened to grow up in a family of, of faith. And I... As I was working on this lesson this week, I just thought how grateful I am for all the people I've known since I was a kid who modeled what we're reading about today. Oh, I know they're all feet of clay. We're all sinners. We, none of us make this completely. But from the time I'm a kid until this day looking out into the faces of so many of you... I have had people encourage me by their own examples and their own lifestyles, and some of them would never even know that they, that they were on my radar screen, but I watched and I saw and I've, I've witnessed what Jesus is saying. I've witnessed it in the lives of other people who lost themselves in Christ and who, whose lives reflected such blessing and meaning, regardless of the circumstances of their life. These statements of Jesus are so true. This is how life really is. And I just hope I can continue to learn that lesson and grow in it. I wish the movie, well, not just the movie, I wish his life would have gone in a different direction. When his wife Phyllis came up to him and said, we're losing everything, this, this is the end. Our family is disintegrating. We need you. This, we've, this has got to stop. I wish he would have said it stops today it stops now it's over it doesn't matter you know who I am my children know who I am my God knows who I am I don't need the recognition of anyone else I don't need to have all injustices righted it's more important to me my relationship with you I want to be a husband that leads you, that is the best husband that you deserve. I want to be the father that our kids can come to and look to and respect and lead them on. Uh, this, this, This legal thing, it's over. You and the kids are more important to me than anything this world can offer. And I would have got out of my chair and cheered because that's a hero story right there that's a spiritual hero story it says the world is not enough in exchange for my family, my life and my soul that's a bad deal and I choose my family I choose what's right and yet the tragedy of his life brings us back for the words of Jesus. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his soul? You know, one of the great fears for me is to come to the end of my life and have regrets. Now, I know we're all going to have regrets. I mean, we are all have those things, Oh yeah, I regret that I did that or didn't do that. I understand that. But by the grace of God, and by the blood of Christ, those, those, those kinds of regrets are wiped away and there's newness in our life, a renewal every day because of that. I'm not talking about those things that if we could go back we would do something a bit different. I'm talking about that colossal regret of coming to the end of your life and realizing you've made a turn somewhere that took you so far off course that you've lost everything that you once valued. so we come into the presence of God. And we say today, Father, you know, there are a lot of distractions around us. And I sometimes get caught up in all that's going on in the world around me. It's just kind of part of life, isn't it, Father? But I want you to know, nothing is more important to me in my life than you. And your love for me and the grace that you've shown for me in Jesus Christ? Nothing. These things, they're no temptation whatsoever when I look clearly into your eyes. And I'm reminded of your love for me, what you've done for me, how Jesus gave everything up for me. And Father, I'm here to say to you, you've got my heart. You've got my life. I know... I haven't given it to you perfectly. And there's a sense in which I can never, still in this flesh, give it to you perfectly, but that's what I'm aiming for. Because nothing in this world is as important as my relationship with you and my soul living with you and praising you and glorifying you for your love and mercy throughout all eternity. That's where we find ourselves. And so we looked at the cross today. Not only for the means of our salvation and atonement, which it is, of course, as Jesus denies himself, takes up his cross, and gives his life for us, but also as the model for our own lives, to walk in the pathway that ends at that tree, to be ready and to live perpetually in a state of self-denial Because in self-denial, we can come into the fullness of Christ and be found in Him and have a life so far beyond what the world can offer, a life so much bigger and better and spiritual than what we can muster. And it's there for us when we lose ourselves in Christ, when we give up, when we give over, when we submit. I hope and pray that as we come back to these very familiar words of Jesus today that we've looked at, He'll just give us all just a few moments to think about those words and the impact on our lives. And to just, as our brother said at the table today, to, to re to reconnect, to recommit, to rededicate, to say, Yes, Lord, I want to follow that path. And we would say to any among us today who haven't yet made that decision, follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. If you believe He's the Son of God, confess that He's the Son of God. And anything that's going on in your life right now that isn't right, turn from it. Repent of it. Denounce it. Look to Jesus Christ as your Lord. Submit to Him. Give Him everything that you are. And come. And in faith, be baptized into Jesus Christ. Into His death. So that His blood cleanses you from your sins raised up from the waters of baptism to newness of life to live that life filled with the Spirit of God lost in Christ giving yourself to Him and by so doing enjoy the blessed life in Jesus Christ where we experience continual fellowship with God for what would it profit a man If he should gain the whole world and forfeit his soul, what would a man give in exchange for his soul? As we sing today, let us sing a song of commitment. We are people who will follow Jesus. And if there's anything in your life that you need to bring before the Lord, or if you're ready today to begin that journey In obedience to the gospel, we invite you. Let's stand and let's sing together.